0: We're beginning a new Christmas sermon series titled The Mosaic of Christmas. It's going to take us up through the Christmas holiday as a church. And we're going to look at the four gospel witnesses to Jesus' birth. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to get one or pull one up on your device. Open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Uh, For many of you, reading the Christmas story as a family is a familiar tradition. You grew up reading Matthew or maybe Luke's account of the Christmas narrative around Christmas. But I also know that for others of you, uh, maybe you're new to the Bible. Uh, You aren't as familiar with the Christmas story. Wherever you find yourself, uh, it's our prayer that studying the story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ will be a blessing to you and fill your house and your heart with an unshakable hope this Christmas season. And in the spirit of the Christmas season, I do feel it's my pastoral duty to remind you of an often overlooked but familiar truth. And it's this, Christmas is all about Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, my family loves the cultural aspect of Christmas. In fact, Ask my wife, she decorated our home for Christmas the first week of November this year. Figured we need a little bit of Christmas cheer, given everything that's gone on. But that's okay. Uh, it's good to enjoy the cultural aspects of Christmas, generosity and kindness and family. These are all good things, but let me remind you, it's not the main thing. Christmas is all about Jesus. And amidst the cultural noise, we must Fight to fix our eyes, set our hope firmly on the person and work of Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, we've been given four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, and these are called the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospel, very simply, is a word that means good news. And the good news is that. Jesus, truly God and truly man, came to earth to live a sinless life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died because of sin, and then rose again to give new life to all who would place their faith in his name. That's the gospel and that's the good news. And so we have four gospels, accounts, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, the good news Of Jesus in our Bibles. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in our Bibles, we have their reliable firsthand accounts of the God-man Jesus Christ. But as we look at these four gospel accounts over the next few weeks as a church, um, many of you are probably wondering or have asked in the past, why do we need four gospels? Why not just have one really good one, right? Very simply, it's this. Uh, Our four Gospels, when viewed together and read together, give us a more complete, full picture of Jesus Christ. You need to know that the Gospels are complementary. They're not contradictory. In fact, each Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they're titled in your Bibles, they crafted their accounts with a specific audience and a specific purpose in mind. We have Matthew who wrote specifically to a Jewish audience. That's why it's placed first in your New Testament. It acts like a bridge, bridging the Old Testament to the New Testament. We have the Gospel of Mark. It's known as the Action Gospel. It's the shortest of the Gospels, and it's very fast-paced. That's because Mark wrote to a uh, non-Jewish Roman audience. Or we have the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician, And so his account is the longest. It's very detailed. And Luke wrote specifically with the poor and the marginalized people of society in mind. And then we have the Gospel of John, which we're going to get to the end of our series. The Gospel of John, who crafted the most beautiful, excellent theological biography of Jesus ever to be written. And so these are the four Gospels. And we called our Christmas sermon series, The Mosaic of Christmas, because the four gospels are a lot like a mosaic. Uh, Give you a visual to, to think through this with me. Just as the different parts of a mosaic fit together to create a fuller, more beautiful portrait, so the four gospels, when read together, present a complete picture of Jesus Christ. We have the tremendous gift of these four gospels in our Bible. And so we begin our Christmas series, The Mosaic of Christmas, by looking at Matthew's account. We look at Matthew's witness to the birth of Jesus. And if you're taking notes, the central idea of Matthew's birth narrative is this The birth of Jesus fulfills God's promise in history. The birth of Jesus fulfills God's promise in history. And to show how God fulfills his promise in the person of Jesus, Matthew gives us three marks of the Messiah. In Matthew 1:18 through 18-25, he gives us three marks of the Messiah. In our time together today, we're going to unpack these three distinguishing marks of God's Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so if you would read with me the familiar birth story which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So in Matthew, we see three marks of the Messiah, three marks of the Messiah. And the first is this, he is conceived from the Holy Spirit. He is conceived from the Holy Spirit. We see this in verses 18 through 20. Uh, This is the doctrine known as the virgin birth, and it's treasured as an essential Christian doctrine in Christian circles. But you need to know that what is praised as a beautiful Christmas truth today actually proved very problematic for Joseph in his day. Uh, Consider the context and the situation going on in verses 18 through 20 of Matthew chapter 1. We have Joseph, we're told in verse 18, who was betrothed or legally pledged. It's similar to a modern day engagement, but uh, there were a lot more complexities and it was more legally binding in Jewish culture than what we see today. But he was uh, legally pledged to be married to Mary. And so what would have happened is, the villages would have celebrated their engagement. In that day, a bride price would have been paid. The transaction would have been made. It was as good as done. And so we have Joseph legally pledged to be married, but here's the problem. Mary, conservative Mary, conservative Jewish girl Mary, is found to be with a child. She's pregnant. And everyone's wondering, well, who's, who's the dad? And Mary says, God, the the child in me is conceived from the Holy Spirit. And so we find Joseph in a dilemma. Joseph must choose between his righteousness under the law. This is what we read in verse 19. He's a just man. So he must consider... Should I go forward with a marriage with a woman who thinks so lowly of me that she would sleep around, who uh, thinks so low of God's law that she would break this binding covenant and commit adultery? Should I still marry that woman? Would that be righteous of me? That's Joseph's dilemma. But on the other hand, Joseph has compassion for Mary. Mary. It says, he's a just man, verse 19, unwilling to put her to shame. Joseph didn't want this for Mary. Joseph had set in his heart to love Mary and be with Mary. And Joseph did not want to send her away as a teenage adulteress, a single mother without the protection of her husband raising a child. Frowned upon in today's culture, unthinkable in this culture. And so Joseph's in a dilemma. And so we read in verse 20, Joseph considered these things. Now, men, let me me ask you this. If you were in Joseph's shoes, how many of you know, would you be doing a little considering? Uh, We're told that an angel of the Lord, God's messenger appeared to Joseph to persuade him. I don't know about you, but it would take an angel of God to convince me that what Mary is saying is true. And that's the case for Joseph. So you have Mary's word, says the child in me is conceived from the Holy Spirit. And then you have that confirmed with God's word delivered through an angel. Verse 20 says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph knew her not until they were married, but went forward with the marriage. This is the context, this is the doctrine of the virgin birth. And the virgin birth is one of those doctrines, one of those beliefs in Christian circles that we know it's important, but maybe we don't really know why it matters. Um, We know we shouldn't mess with it, but we don't know what would happen if we did. Uh, So what I want to do is give you, very briefly, uh, three reasons the virgin birth matters. The virgin birth is essential and has massive implications for our Christian faith. And so I want to give you three of those reasons the virgin birth matters. The first is this. The virgin birth demonstrates God's power over nature. God's power over nature. Uh, What it means to be God is to be sovereign over creation, sovereign over nature, God is able to do the impossible. He's able to uh, suspend and break natural laws. Why? Because that's what it means to be God. He has supernatural power over the nature he created. And the virgin birth demonstrates this. It wasn't by natural human relations that the baby boy Jesus was conceived. It was, in fact, a miracle. It's the miracle of the virgin birth, and it demonstrates God's power over nature. The second reason the virgin birth matters is because the virgin birth reminds us that salvation is a gift of grace. We look at the teenage girl Mary, of all people, chosen by grace to carry God's Son into the world. Mary wasn't looking for this opportunity. Mary felt unworthy by this responsibility, but it's all of grace. God chose Mary to do this, not because of her merit, because of God's grace toward her. And in the same way, we look to the virgin birth and remember that our salvation is also a gift of grace. And thirdly, and perhaps the most important, third reason the virgin birth matters is because the virgin birth is necessary to accomplish salvation, the virgin birth is necessary to save us from our sins. Here's what I mean by that the virgin birth, conceived from the Spirit, Spirit, carried by Mary, means that Jesus was not born of man. Jesus was conceived from the Spirit and ultimately born of God. And so we have the two natures Jesus being truly, fully God truly fully man, united in the one person, Jesus Christ, that means he's able to accomplish salvation for us. If Jesus was only a man, he would not be sufficient to carry the weight of sin for the world. Only God can deal with the weight of sin. Man cannot do that. But Jesus also as being fully man, was able to be our substitute. Jesus lived a sinless life under the law as man. We could not do that, but Jesus did that. So Jesus being fully God, he's sufficient to deal with sin. And Jesus being fully man is able to act as our substitute. In our place. And so the virgin birth is significant to our Christian faith. The first mark of the Messiah Jesus is conceived from the Holy Spirit. The second mark, we have three of them. The second mark is this He is named Jesus. He is named Jesus. Verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for because he will save his people from their sins. He would be a savior for God's people. Jesus is the Greek word of an Old Testament Hebrew word, Joshua. It literally means Yahweh, God, is salvation. And so Jesus' name means salvation. You know, I've I've been asked, and maybe you've wondered this, why does the church talk so much about salvation? It's because the name of the guy we worship literally means salvation. Salvation. Uh, We we talk about salvation because Jesus is our salvation. It's who he is and it's what he does. And in verse 21, we're told that Jesus will save his people from their sins. This is immensely good news. For the Jews in Jesus' day, this would have been unimaginably great news. And here's why. The Jewish people of Jesus' day understood what many in our day do not, and that is they understood the weight of sin. The Jews of Jesus' day had graphic reminders of sin and its devastating effects all around them. Consider this with me. They had the Old Testament sacrificial system. Um, Gallons of blood, day after day, the blood of animals slain as a substitute for the people's sin. And so the Jews, as they bring their sacrifice to the temple, when the blood is shed, when the animal is murdered, the smell and the visual of blood reminds them that sin brings death. They had the temple, the Old Testament temple, and the temple... In Jerusalem, you had the outer courts, the inner courts, and then the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. That's where God's concentrated presence dwelt among his people. And the most holy place, the concentrated presence of God, was a room, a chamber only to be entered once a year by one man, the high priest, on behalf of the people. And so this reminded God's people day after day, year after year that it's because of our sin that we're separated from God. They understood that sin brings death. They understood that sin brings separation. They saw this in the sacrificial system. They saw this in the temple. After thousands of years of seeing this, they then hear the birth announcement of Jesus. And they hear the birth announcement of the angel. And what does the angel say? You need to name this boy Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Jesus is no ordinary man, he'll deliver us from death that sin brings, he'll deliver us from the separation that sin brings. He'll restore us to our Father. The second mark of the Messiah is that He's named Jesus. He is a Savior for God's people. And the third mark of the Messiah, I love this, verses 22 through 23, we see that He is our Emmanuel. He is our Emmanuel. In verse... 22, Matthew says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he has in mind the prophet Isaiah. Massive book in your Old Testaments. The prophet Isaiah, he quotes directly from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Where 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah writes, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel which literally in the Hebrew means God with us. And Matthew chooses to quote Isaiah 7.14 because Isaiah 7.14 was a very important scripture to the Jews of Jesus' day. Isaiah 7, like I said, written some 700 years before the events of the birth of Jesus was written for God's people who were in the midst of a civil war. You had the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah that split because of King Rehoboam, the king after King Solomon. And they're in a civil war. So we have King Ahaz of Judah worrying that the northern kingdom, 10 of the tribes of God's people, worry that they're going to come and ransack The southern kingdom of judah and so isaiah 7 in context is a story of king ahaz asking god where are you your people are slaughtering one another your people who are meant to be a united kingdom to uh, demonstrate the goodness of god to the world they're they're more divided than ever so he asked, God, where are you? And God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, King Ahaz, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and I will be with you because you'll call that son Emmanuel. And so you probably don't have a problem seeing how this text, Isaiah 7, verse 14 became a sure hope for God's people. A Savior was coming. God's word will be fulfilled. Every generation anticipated the Emmanuel. They looked for the Son. Generation after generation, year after year, for 700 years, they looked intently for the fulfillment of this promise. And in Matthew chapter 1, what Matthew is saying, Jesus fulfills God's promise in history. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. We see in the birth of Christ the fulfillment of this promise. God is with us in Jesus Christ. And what greater blessing can there be for God himself to be with his people? I can't think of a better name to call our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. He is God with us. By way of conclusion, I want to share with you a story that I think so powerfully drives this point home that Jesus, in fact, is God with us. Some years ago, the, as the story goes, there was a Christian pastor and theologian who was invited to speak at a secular university on the distinctiveness of Christianity. And as he spoke about the distinctiveness of Christianity, he then opened the floor for questions, and a Muslim man came up and asked him, Sir, you presented Jesus well, but I cannot conceive, the Muslim religion cannot conceive of a God who would willingly be with his sinful creation and suffer. And so this. Christian professor, lecturer, pastor, in that moment didn't know what to say. He's in a room full of people. And after being silent for a few moments, not knowing the theological response, not knowing the right answer, looked at this man and said, sir, you're right. And that's the Christian distinctive. Our God in Jesus Christ Suffered with us. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus bore the full marks and nature of our humanity by becoming a man and living a sinless life though surrounded by temptation to sin. Who as the sinless one died a substitutionary death. That should have been us on the cross. But he's God with us. And he bore the weight of sin in our place on the cross. And by the power of God, he rose again. And he is now exalted seated at the right hand of the father forever making intercession for his people jesus is our emmanuel god with us we know that the birth of jesus fulfills god's promise in history how well it's because jesus bears the marks of god's messiah the promised savior As we conclude, he's conceived from the Holy Spirit. He's sufficient to carry our sin as God. He's sufficient to be our substitute as man. He's named Jesus. He saves his people from their sin. And thirdly, he's our Emmanuel. God is with his people eternally in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, I want to give you an encouragement so those of you who are watching that are believers, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Would you treasure him this Christmas season? Would you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Perhaps you're a non-believer watching this today. You have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I invite you simply to trust him? Jesus alone fulfills God's promise in history. Jesus alone reconciles us to our Father. Jesus alone lifts our shame and guilt, cleanses us from our sin, and forgives us all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this familiar story of the birth of Jesus Christ. God, we treasure you because you, in fact, sent Jesus, you didn't look at our suffering from afar, but you did something about it by becoming a man in Jesus Christ. We treasure your son, Jesus. And during this Christmas season, we ask that you would fix our eyes firmly on Jesus. It is him and him alone who we seek to worship, to follow, and to cherish. Seal these truths in our hearts this day. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.